This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. Thanks for tuning in and uh, I'm delighted once again to be in your company. And thanks for affording me this opportunity to share my thoughts alongside uh, in-studio guests. Uh, if you missed our you know, conversation last week, uh, not to worry, download a podcast on, on, on the interview I've had with Jeff Madison, who happened to be or who is the IBM executive um, from, from Netherlands who came through to South Africa. Um, alongside with a host of other, you know, uh, and uh, what they call themselves MIBMs, you know. Um, I think the, the, they've given us a real food for thought in terms of what is it that they, you know, are here to do in South Africa. And certainly the organization says that the, such as the National Education Collaboration Trust has certainly benefited uh, from the interventions as part of the CSI uh, from uh, IBM. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to thank um, Simon, Lindiwe, and Zanati and uh, say to Kathy Kayla, who hasn't been around for almost like two weeks, she is dearly missed. Hopefully, all is good. Um, as always, I'm not flying solo. I'm Kotabu, the technical producer. Um, you know, he's uh, really guiding the show in a manner that is befitting. Um, I'm, 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 I'm actually looking at him now, uh, you know. He's looking at me and because I've done a, done a mess on my table and he, I'm, I'm sure you'll forgive me. Um, once again, um, if you are, uh, not if actually I implore you to, to really show your thoughts, uh, via our SMS line, which is 34519. Uh, and of course the telegram is 061-895-1019. And my email address is nimrod at highfm.co.za. Um, just a quick reflection in terms of what stood up for me in the week that was. Um, what do you really make of the damning uh, testimony by the former spy boss, Mo Sheikh, in that, according to him, you know, the whole state capture or the whole Gupta uh, interference in the statement as would have been arrested as early as 2011. What do you really make of that? I mean, there's, there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that this matter had not been of political interference. The state does have capacity. It does have capacity and capability to really address some of these uh, issues. It is just that there hasn't been a political will. That's a million-dollar question, for me at least. What's on the menu tonight? Um, let's look at um, the following critical issues, which I will share with um, my institute guest, Unati Mtoninzi, who's an independent analyst. We're going to talk about the, the, the adverse uh, findings um, by the Auditor General on SOEs, state-owned enterprises, government departments and municipalities. We'll have a reflection in terms of what the state, what this South African A-Way and Solidarity uh, Business Rescue Tussle is all about. And do you agree with it or not? Um, I've got my own view, but I'll just hold into that. But last but not least, we'll have a, 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 a bit of a reflection in terms of the prominent arrest that we've seen to date, which I think... Um, Ha, it is something worth celebrating, something that South Africans have been looking forward to see happening. Is it enough? Is it too late? What's your view? Um, I really want you to weigh in on that particular issue. For it boils down to one and one question only. It is about the credibility of the sixth administration. Are we as a country winning in terms of the battle against corruption? 
is the tide is the turn you know are we turning the tide against corruption and impunity or are we really flagging the dead horse to be honest with you my view is that i sincerely hope that majority of south africans of the view that we are winning against corruption and maleficent. The latter, you know, we, we have no reason, you know, we have absolutely no option but to win. I'll tell you why I'm raising this particular issue. Recently I've been in the Northern Cape, in the area called Pisklika Seme, TJ Taul in Appington. And there I've witnessed, I mean, I've been pretty much around the country, um, but I've never seen the level of destitute and poverty that I've seen in the Northern Cape, particularly in the area of Prixlikasebe. And I've seen kids walking to school barefoot in a dusty, you know, almost like in the middle of nowhere. The reason I'm asking this issue is in the context of the AG report, which you've seen. We have noted that the cumulative government irregular sp- uh, expenditure is sitting at one, 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 175 billion rands, which is equivalent to that, to the budget of police and defense, we are told. And what is more staggering for me is the fruitless and wasteful expenditure, which is currently sitting at 1.4 billion rands. And we are told it has, you know, uh, reduced. What can you buy? Let's just look at 175 billion rands, which, um, uh, amounts to irregular expenditure. You top it up, you look at 1.4 billion rands, which are coming for fruitless and wasteful expenditure. What can you buy with that kind of money? And mind you, you know, when I, when I, when, when I look at the AG's report, what was outstanding is that not all the uh, outstanding audits were completed, which means the figure of 1.4 billion rands could be more. Because not all entities, not all government departments accounted for. Essentially, we could be sitting with what, 1.5, 1.6 billion rands of fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Here's another question for me, which I want you to weigh in on. If we've got a statutory body such as Auditor General making such gross adverse findings about against SOEs, against government departments, and against municipalities, and nothing happens to these officials, or at least nothing that we know of happens. Because there's a, there's a difference. Because in, in, in a public space, we need to be dealing with reality, not so much about perceptions. We need to be, the state needs to bring us, you know, to bring us in, 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 in its confidence in terms of what is it that has been done. Before you get into this issue, let me take this opportunity to welcome Unatim Toninzi. It has been a while, Makutsi. How are you? I'm fine, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Just a bit of a sinus, but I'm well. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thank you for gracing the airways once again. Um, I had a, just a brief moment about the, the exorbitant, uh, fruitless expenditure that you have seen and irregular expenditure, which in my, which runs, which runs in the billion. And the question, perhaps maybe what the listeners would want to, want to hear from your view is, are we really winning? Is the sixth administration winning? Or is it too early to say? Or we're flagging a dead horse, as I pointed out earlier? Well, I wouldn't like to think that we're fledging a dead horse. Um, even though it's not looking good. Um, 
it doesn't look like we've arrested the problem at least. Let alone turn it back and, and, and start. I mean, I, in my recollection of following Auditor General's report, I don't think I remember the Auditor General reporting that all the SOCs didn't have clean audits. I think it's the first time I've, I've heard that, that all of them. So we don't seem to have arrested the problem. And I also don't understand why either through the PFMA and other mechanism there is no direct link between the performance contracts of the of the leaders of government whether they are municipal managers or DGs with the clean audit so that there's a clear alignment between these two things so that if you don't get a clean audit it's a reflection on your performance it seems to be the most easy and logical thing to do but I don't think that actually happens. But, but you know, I think you hit it in a nail, uh, Onati. You hit it spot on because if the, the perform, if there was an alignment or similar, seamless integration between the performance management or the performance contract of a DG, the first, you know, bureaucrat in, in any system, um, and, and against or in line with the, 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 the audit findings, if, if you are getting adverse findings, as we have seen, Surely, it means you're not worthy of being in that particular position. Let alone when you've got fruitless and wasteful expenditure. For an example, the Department of um, uh, Water and Sanitation is the biggest culprit. Transport, biggest tra- in case of that and so on and so forth. Why do we have those kinds of DGs or even MECs? Is it because we don't have political will? What accounts for this kind of quagmire in your view? Well, the simple answer is that there's a lot of collaboration between the person who's supposed to enforce and the person who's supposed to perform. So in simple terms, the person who's supposed to enforce doesn't enforce. And that, that's it's simplistically what, what it means. I mean, in my recollection of government is that ministers signed delivery agreements with the president. And certainly that was part of the fourth and the fifth administration. But whether those delivery agreements also link to these audits is also questionable. Because typically what then should happen is that the minister should, in essence, take that delivery agreement and suss out the parts that have an implication on the DG and write a delivery or a performance agreement with the DG based on that. Because then there's an alignment based on what the president expects, what the minister expects, and what is expected of the DG. And the performance contract of the chief executive officers of the SOEs or SOCs would then be linked to that. So, so you can, you, can, you then have a, a system that is focused on one expectation or a, or a group of expectations and that is an alignment throughout. So that even if you are a representative of the Department of Transport in one of these agencies that report to the Department of Transport, at the back of your mind is this agreement or this performance agreement between the chief executive officer, the board, and the shareholder. But if the, the point is you can always have these things on paper. At the end of the day, for something to happen, somebody has to ask. Somebody with authority has to ask the right questions and do something about it. And, and I mean, we have a PFMA, and I mean, I've combed through it a number of times. It's quite strict in some instances. But being strict on paper is not the same as being strict on enforcement of that paper. And I think that's where we lack. We lack 
like you were saying earlier on in your introduction, a political will to enforce these things. It's not like the tools are not there. I think the tools are there. But there are no people who are willing to do something about it. I think, you, you know, on the contrary, we've got more than enough tools. You know, PSMA is a very wonderful instrument that looks at how we can curb and control um, these unnecessary expenditures. But here's another issue. At one level, you are expected, or at one level, uh, DG, for an example, is expected to comply. Um, and, and compliance does not necessarily mean delivery, because you can comply administratively. Or maliciously. Or maliciously. Mm-hmm. And what is the impact? So whatever it is that we need to do, we have to look at the combination of the two. At one level, that, um, you know, from the control point of view, the, 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 the process is in place. You are keeping unnecessary uh, expenditure. But in the same vein, the kinds of work that you do has an impact because we have to see how the rent expand, how the rent makes a difference um, uh, in a system. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that? Look, I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, the, the, the performance management has unintended consequences. Because once it becomes too much of a stick, then the people tend to want to manage the performance management system as opposed to people doing their work because they are not there to manage the performance management system. They are there to perform their duties. So how you frame it and how you design it is very important so that there is, there is, there is, there is, there's carrots for doing the right thing and then there's stick for doing the wrong thing. So I find that sometimes the way that it, it's designed, it's not designed in a complete holistic way to avoid the thing that you've just explained or the phenomena that you've just explained. But be that as it may, I, I still go back to the point that says you can design it almost foolproof. Um, but at the end of the day, somebody must sit somewhere, evaluate someone's performance and give them a score. You know, the system can't do it by itself. Somebody has to, or a group of people have to do that. So if you don't have those people that are going to do this thing and do it objectively, then it's it's meaningless. But here's another issue on the same uh, point, uh, Unati, that we are very mindful, let us not be naive, that running government official or government department is a very complex process, um, one. Maybe let's not say it's complex. Maybe let's add and say it's complex and complicated. Yeah, agree. Sure. But sure. but here, here's a question, and I want to throw at you, throw at you, that at one level you're expecting, um, we're expecting, you know, DG to provide oversight and make sure that everything um, is done is done accordingly. On the other level, we're also expecting uh, for the DG. To, to, to provide kinds of almost like hands-on. And we know that it's, it's not, it's not as easy as that. We know that. Um, but how do we balance, you know, the, the equation as it were? That at one level we're expecting uh, a clean audit, but also expecting performance, the delivery of those kinds of uh, uh, issues. Particularly in an environment where, um, you know, there is political support or Ups or lack of thereof, because in some instances, uh, DGs suffer because they don't have political support. You know, the sitting administrative um, duties 
even though they have the mandate to execute, but they still rely on the political officers to enforce. What happens in, in, in because this seems to be, this seems to be a reality, something that is, is obviously n- not really at the face value, but it, 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 it does exist. Yeah, I mean, I've worked in, in government a bit and I've had an opportunity to, to work at a teacher's office. And to be honest with you, in most cases, it's a toxic environment. And it's a, it's an atmosphere of mistrust. And you're right when you say he then, or he or she then spends more time trying to fend off issues that have to do with trust issues than dealing with the line function issues. You know, it's, if you are the DG of health, let's deal with the real issues about how we deal and improve the health, how do we improve primary health care, as opposed to fending off when a, a, a procurement submission has been submitted on the infrastructure and you have to check whether the process has been followed and double check and you're not sure whether the CFO did the right thing. And, and that's exhausting. To say the least. I mean, that's, that's, and, and there's just no way even the most competent human being will be able to perform in such an environment. So one of the key problems, I mean, it's 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 really and and it's really about how do we transform the public service, and transform it not just to reduce its numbers, but have people in in key position who are trustworthy. We have to go back to basics like that. That it, in, in, the challenge we have is we have too many people in high positions in departments, and the truth of the matter is we can't trust them. Is it, a, is it a matter of trust is it a, or is it a matter of skills and competencies or a combination? All of the above. I mean, in some instances, they are linked. You know, if the person doesn't have skills, because they don't have skills, then they become, they use all other means for to justify their stay there, which in most cases become unscrupulous means. So in, in, in most instances, these things are related. They are not even unrelated. So it's a toxic environment. And I mean, to, to deliver key basic services under such a, a, a toxic environment is difficult. I mean, I was listening to the evidence by the, by the former DG of intelligence, uh, foreign facing intelligence. And he was saying for the first time in his career as, as an intelligence officer, he was called into a meeting by a minister. Who he, he believes that this is illegal. It's just to him this is completely illegal. Now instead of him doing his work, he can't because there's this guillotine that's hanging over his neck, depending on whether he's going to follow the instruction or not. And I don't think it's a peculiar matter or it's something that happened to him alone. I think it happens to a lot of them. So I think that's that, that's where for me the, the 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 root of the problem is. The the root of the problem is that the hearts of our leaders are just not in the best interest of our people and our and, and our country. And I think that's something we really have to fight as South Africans. But how do we how do we turn the tide? How do we um conscientize our leaders to place the heart Maybe we ha- don't ha- even need to we must kick them out. I mean if we, I mean, I was thinking earlier on, with all due respect, I mean, even the current president, it's not like he came a few months ago into the position. He's been there in three months' time. He would have been there for 24 months. 
That's a long time to do something And uh, I don't know if he really has the appetite to do something well, you know, while on that point, I mean, I think it's, I think I want to give the president a bit of a breather, considering the, the, to- the toxicity of uh, the environment they've spoken about, the fashion that exists. Let's look at the evidence at hand. Surely, when you look at the prominent arrest that has taken place now, uh, that should account for something in terms of him or displaying leadership and also political will, but also um, the whole legal process, which which often drags to a point where we we throw our hands in the air like nothing's happening. My view is that, given the 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 the, 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 the recent evidence, there's there's definitely a a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of his leadership, uh, vis-a-vis uh, you know conviction that we need to be seeing. Well, it's it's actually a very strange thing because in most cases. Presidents would argue that they don't get involved in such things. So I'm not sure whether we should credit him for that. By the way, in any event, in my view, I certainly don't understand what the relationship is between a normal criminal investigation and what is happening at the Zondo Commission. I don't know why it seems like everything else in the criminal justice system is waiting for the Zondo Commission. I don't understand that. Because what should happen is that the police should investigate all crime and not wait for a commission because a commission is not investigating with the intention to bring a docket before the National Prosecuting Authority. So it doesn't make sense to me, certainly, for why the police are waiting for the Zondo Commission. So that's what I'm saying. In my view, we should have done these things a long time ago. In any event... Other, the other political faction can argue that the only people who have been arrested are from the other faction. The people from the other faction have been arrested. So I'm not sure if in the, in the political propaganda system it makes a difference that these arrests have been made. And certainly I, I, I don't know if it makes any difference. So for me, that's where I think we must be bold as South Africans and, and do something about 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 our country. Otherwise, there's going to be trouble here. Okay. Before we get to the next issue, because I really want to, uh, you know, pick your brain on the the levels of commitments that we've seen, and the extent to which this commitment translates to business confidence. Because everything that we do, particularly in this show, is to demonstrate the extent to which the the administration is cognizant of those particular issues, so that they could positively impact on business uh, business confidence, which we are lacking. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. It's almost uh, 25 to 7. Uh, we're having a very interesting conversation with Onatim Mtonansi, who is the um, business analyst. Uh, please weigh in in our conversation for, I think he has made some stelling uh, insights or, or, or contribution to the conversation. Our SMS line is 34549. Telegram is 061-895-1019. Of course, my email address is nimrod at highfm.co.za. Before we went to the break, we, you know, I wanted to look at, at, you know, cumulatively all these things that are happening in the country. How do they impact on business confidence? Because one of the biggest 
criticisms level against government is its inability to provide business with confidence that issues that have been raised, something is happening. Um, and when you look at the Moody's, for an example, around SOEs, the biggest issue has always been, you know, we're not being able to arrest the, 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 the bloating uh, fiscus. We're not being able to arrest and make a determination on how do we going to raise revenue and, and, and cut the expen- expenses. Government is doing quite a bit, uh, particularly with respect to, to ESCOM. Uh, government is doing quite a bit in when you speak, when you're looking at SA and, and other SOEs. Wouldn't that be an issue which everybody wants to look at in terms of um, getting some kind of a perspective on what government is doing? And surely, I don't think uh, our president, let alone his cabinet, is completely... Uh, Ignorant about those, those those peculiar issues or those those important issues. What's what's your take on that? It's interesting that it looks like people from outside have to force us to do the right thing, and I think that's that for me is where the problem begins. It's other in, in, in simple terms. I'm in the outside. I'm trying to get you to sort your house out. And that, in my view, shouldn't be the case. In other words, we shouldn't be told by Moody's and, and other rating agencies on what is the right thing to do. Or we shouldn't be told by a business confidence index on how to make our country attractive and grow the economy. Because these things they expect are the things that we should be doing for ourselves, not things we should be doing so that Moody's can upgrade us. In other words, put differently, we would still have to do these things even if there was no Moody's. So that's why I don't understand why we must wait for Moody's to tell us these kind of things. But but clearly we're incapable of addressing those issues. You see, that's the point I'm going to. You know, that's that's the point I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to show to show how, in my view, there's a lack of political will to deal with those issues. In my view, in other words, there seems to be other interests other than <laughs> the simple basic interest of what is in the best interest of the country. Uh, 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 should be the writing factors that inform the decision making. I mean, I, I don't know how long they took to make a decision on the CEO of ESCOM. They took long. On top of that, there are credible questions about the person they've appointed. And, and in my view, one of the ways to build business confidence is to, is to appoint someone that all of us, even if we don't like him as a person or her as a person, but we can't find fault in their credentials to be able to be in the position. But wait, wait a second. I mean, I, I, I wanna, do, I wanna, you know, uh, do, you know, completely disagree with you on that point. Sure. Um, firstly, the appointment of the CEO at ESCOM, you know, given the toxic environment and how politicized that scenario is. There's no way in which uh, the incumbent will get, you know, a thumbs up across the board. That's number one. Number two, um, we know that it is in an inevitable position. Nobody wants it, truth be told. When you look at the track record of, of people who have been CEOs, none of them have lasted two, three years, you know. So, so what does that tell you? No, look, I mean, I, I, my simple point is this. 
what it makes the environment that toxic is politics. It's not the work that needs to be done. It's politics. So the person who have appointed this person, in my view, are also guilty of making the same political environment that is untenable for any person who's appointed there. Thirdly, the responsibility to protect whoever the CEO is from political interference must be the, must be the responsibility of the executive authority over ESCOM. In other words, if, 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 if the minister of public enterprises is the first one to interfere in the operations of ESCOM, then how is the environment not going to be toxic? All I'm saying is that any person, I agree that to some extent that any person might have criticism at this point there. But if we had appointed someone, let me make an example of the past CEO, to make an example. If Mr. Tabashe was point, or when Mr. Tabashe was appointed, nobody questioned his credentials and why Mr. Tabashe should be here. It didn't necessarily, everybody agreed that Mr. Tabashe was there or should be there. But there was general consensus or a majority agreement as to why we accept Mr. Tabashi and we're going to work with Mr. Tabashi. The problem that you have is when you appoint somebody and then people have a credible reason to say, first, this person doesn't have the technical background. And ESCOM is an operations company, is a technical engineering operations company. So what, what, what direct influence does this person going to have to resolve those issues? Because at the bottom, or at the, at the, at the foundation of ESCOM's problems are operational issues, even if the symptoms become financial at the end of the day. So that's why the unions are then saying, no, this person has been appointed for other reasons other than the problem that we see. Now it's, if you want to restructure ESCOM for whatever, uh, benefits or other interests that you have, you would appoint a lawyer. So, so you see, this is the point I'm trying to make is if you want to create the business confidence that you're talking about, I'm sure it is possible from the president to the minister of public enterprises to the minister of finance to between the three of them assure someone that from a political environment perspective, it is our responsibility to protect that environment. But if they don't give anyone those kind of assurances, why would you want to go there? Because they are the first people to interfere. So, so, and that's the kind of a problem that you have. They don't play the role they're supposed to play. Okay. Well, maybe let's, let's, let's move on from that point. But still on the issue of, 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 um, business confidence. What do you make of the prominent arrest that uh, we've seen to date? For an example, I mean, there's, um, uh, arrest, uh, in the Eastern Cape, um, you know, crime and in, in intelligence and detective, um, uh, quite a number of, 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 uh, of government officials in, in Eastern Cape. The former minister of intelligence, uh, um, you know, been arrested and, and so on and so forth. Former mayor of Etiquini was arrested. Former mayor, you know, so, so surely those are indication of a commitment of this particular administration to provide South Africans with confidence that we are doing something, irrespective of which faction, because I don't want us to get into the faction side as to, okay, you know, no I, I don't want to get into that. I want us to say, from a business point of view, surely, if you are external person who has a interest in investing in South Africa and wanting to see movement, is this movement not good enough? Or what would your take be on these kinds of, of, of transactions taking place? 
Well, I suppose if you look at them in isolation, you'll probably be a bit enthusiastic about them. But if you look at the matter objectively and look at other incidents, I mean, in the last few weeks as well, the Minister of Energy has been accused to have bought journalists and, 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 and the matter was a messy matter. And in other jurisdictions, such an incident would have led to the Minister of Energy resigning or the Minister of Energy being fired or being asked to, to vacate the position until the matter has been resolved. So, so what I'm trying to say is, on the one side, there's this arrest, but on the other side, there's inactions about other issues of integrity that if there was actions on those issues, they will build up on these arrests and create a better confidence. So, in other words, in, 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 it's like they, they, they take two steps forward only to take three steps backwards. As a result, in my view, if I look at the matter objectively, as a result, there's no progress really in building that, 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 that confidence. So there's good things that do happen, but there's also other bad things that, in my view, if I was the president, I would find a way to deal with. Are you therefore saying, you know, to, to everybody listening now, that the fact that the, the, the current Minister of Minerals, uh, Mining, uh, Guadamantashi, to be more precise, um, you know, he should have stepped down or under normal circumstances, allegations of bribery, you know, um, should have landed him in hot water to a point where he either steps aside while investigation takes all, you know, takes over. So the fact that we are not aggressively pursuing that matter, it questions the integrity of the leadership. It does. I mean, then, then, then within another week, another member of the, another minister, says that the commission of the ruling party is toothless. She goes and says it publicly. It's toothless. They they can't do anything. So now I'm I'm now I'm, I put myself as an investor somewhere in, in in the United Kingdom, and yes, there's been arrests, but there's other issues. You know that relate to integrity. But I hear you. I think that are happening at the same time, and. Put differently, if these two other issues were on the same side of integrity as they are at the rest, then you can build up momentum. So you I'm saying they you, take two steps forward only for them to take two steps backwards. So you're basically advocating for consistency in terms of application of, of, of the norms and standards. If you're saying uh, integrity should be beyond reproach, it doesn't really matter. So you need to be seen to be delivering on that particular aspiration. Sure. I mean, I, it's, 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 that's that, because you must remember the, the, the intangibility of confidence. You know, it's, it's to some ex- large extent a perception issue. So if, if, if you don't manage those perceptions by acting appropriately when there's a need to act, then you're not going to influence the perception. And I mean, that's, that's the challenge that, that we face. You know, that uh, maybe the Minister of, of, of Minerals and Energy is also the chairperson of the party. So it's difficult now to deal with him, you know. And and these are the, the the things that don't inspire confidence. And I think South Africans have also realized the importance of not to be too excited if somebody's arrested. It doesn't mean that they are guilty of anything. It just means that the police believe they have a case against that person. And the matter must still go to court, and we must see whether that person will get the the the, the judges will feel that the the state has proved a case, 
beyond reasonable doubt that that person has committed the crime. So, so it's, it's, it's the jury still out. It's promising to see the arrests and it's quite promising, I must be honest. But I, I, I have a sense that people know many other people that should have been arrested a long time ago. But here's another issue. I'm, I'm, I want to build a case around the business confidence. When you look at the, 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 the NPA, um, uh, recently they've obtained the provi- uh, provisional high court order to freeze assets of uh, state capture queues, financial advisory company, the Richmond Capital, for example. That to any South African who has been aching about the lack of political will or the lack of, of actions, particularly around the state capture accused, you know, surely that should give indication or signal uh, somehow some level of, of positive um, uh, sentiment that indeed something is actually happening. And, and mind you, the, these kinds of movements or incidents are not are somehow been built up over a period of time. We do not wake up one day, there's, you know, there, there's um, high court papers, you know, uh, against the regiment, for an example. So, so, so clearly, so there's been a process which got to a point where we could now say, well, there's something, something has actually happened. Wouldn't that qualify as indication of the, of the sixth administration in terms of its political will to see things through Procedurally, because at one level, if you're going to pounce every time when there's announcements, when more shake, for an example, make this uh, allegation that the, this thing should have been stopped at eleven, at uh, twenty eleven, and you now go and pounce without, without any facts, without any evidence, you you're really going to bungle up the cases. You know, you need to give proper authority sufficient time to do the investigation to a point where they have almost proof, like in the case of Regiment Capital, that there's a case uh, for Gupta-linked companies to account for. Surely that inspires confidence. You know, I want to make two points. And the second one will be my original point. All of a sudden, it seems as if all that is wrong and all that is corrupt in this country is to do with state capture, which I don't understand why. It's as if there was no corruption there was no wrongdoing before there was state capture. And I think that's not right. It can't be right. Hence, I was saying earlier on, to go to my second point, there is no reason why the police should wait for state capture to investigate crime. They, must, they must say, look, we've been doing it. It's just that it, these are issues not on a public space. We are doing it, and we don't make noise about every single investigation. Well, that I mean, we do. if there was a high-profile arrest, we would know about it. I don't think there's a problem. In any way, to make my point, if an individual uses this, the, the president's name inappropriately to allow a civilian aircraft to land in a military base, which breaches the, 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 the sovereign security of the country, surely that there's a basis to charge that individual without a Zondo commission. Fair enough. So, so the so so the the point I'm trying to make is is it does, but in an environment where there's just a litany of wrongdoing, you need to get to a critical number to start swaying 
whether you call it business confidence or you're calling it public opinion, for me, it's not the difference is not so much important at this stage. But you need to get to a critical mass or a critical number of these actions to start swaying the confidence or public opinion that really this administration is then serious to deal with these matters. I suppose only time will tell. Perhaps maybe let's just park um, that because I think we have deliberated uh, substantially on it. And and I, I strongly believe, even though you are not deep on this particular issue, personally, I think there's sufficient traction that gives indication to ordinary South African that the sixth administration is quite serious. It may not move with the same pace, with a pace that would satisfy almost everyone, but there is what I would refer to as the light at the end of the tunnel. But let's let's wait and see if any other prominent uh, arrest will, will come through, irrespective of which faction. Because for me, that's immaterial. For it, the police, it yeah, should be. It's, yes. it's immaterial. What, what is important is the, the principle, you know, yes. that uh, wrong wrongdoings were committed or wrongs were committed, and the state has to act, and it is acting. Maybe let's just park that for now, um, as we, 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 we're running out of time. I want us to wrap up our conversation tonight by looking at the solidarity uh, issue with South African, uh, um, uh, South African uh, 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 airways, mm. which I find very fascinating mm, that they, they have obviously uh, uh, gone to a point of asking the High Court uh, to put the, 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 the airline under business rescue. And, and earlier on, you know, off air, we talked about the difference between business rescue as well as liquidation. Uh, liquidation. And they're not pushing for liquidation. They are pushing for business rescue. So firstly, let's just quickly unpack the difference between business rescue and liquidation. Your assessment of the two. Well, my simple, I mean, to, to use simple analogy, liquidation means there's nothing left. There's no business. There's nothing left. All they're trying to do is find something to pay whoever is owed by that business. Simplistically, that, that's liquidation. Business rescue, as the suggestion or the, the, the connotation that there is some business, there is some revenue minus cost is equal to a positive P, somewhere, somehow. And therefore, let's find that revenue minus cost is a positive P and salvage it. So, so what, what solidarity then is saying is that there's something to salvage here. And let's do it now before it becomes a point of no return towards liquidation. I think that that's my simplistic understanding of what they're saying. And maybe they're saying that because they understand that the industry, from an employment perspective, might not have the capacity to absorb a critical mass of the people that would be laid off if SAA goes into liquidation. So that's, uh, that's, I think that's their motivation. And, um, it's said that it has to come from a union to do that. Uh, ideally, in my view, I mean, I've been, I've worked a bit in the aviation industry. Even to this day, I still cannot understand why airlines that operates similar routes with SAA, record profits year after year, and SAA continues to record huge losses year after year. That is still a mystery to me. So, 
I, I, on, simplistically, I would support what solidarity is doing instead of dilly dallying and then the matter ends up in liquidation because I think there are, there are people who are employed there and their families that, that would suffer because of that. But I think principally, I, I completely agree with you. There's absolute marriage in, in putting SA under business rescue because there's something that is worth rescuing. It may not be the, the quantum might be an issue. Um, we may not have the airline that operates with the same level of, of staff cohort um, at, at different levels. And, and we know that, you know, SA is top heavy. We know some routes are definitely not profitable. We know that um, some of the capitalization is required, hence the biggest debt they have registered. And th- some of these issues are are, are, note, are noted that you, you can't operate uh, effectively with an ailing infrastructure which require lots and lots of, 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 of reinvestment. That that accounts for sizable quantum of SAA. But here's something that I'm I'm struggling to comprehend. The objections in other quarters around this particular issue. What do you think accounts for objection from other so called progressive movements to, to solidarity when 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 clearly the intention is to rescue a business which since 2011 have re- never registered positive returns. In fact, a, a year in, year out, registers deficit and being bailed out by, by, by fiscus. Honestly, I just think it's a good idea coming from a wrong source. Uh, Isn't that petty, honestly? It, it is petty. I, mean, it, it, I, I, I think it is petty. Um, and, and, and maybe the view might be that solidarity are really after the interests of their own white employees at SAA or that, that. Th- but the truth is that the, the business rescue that the court will rule on would not discriminate according to color. So I, I don't understand what, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a petty matter. But also I think people must understand that if SAA were to be liquidated, what are the knock-on effects into the whole aviation value chain, both upstream and downstream? And I mean, I'm thinking, what will happen to AXA if AXA's, if AXA's 20, 20% or 25% of their revenue comes from the tariffs that are paid by SAA because SAA operates most of the routes locally and, and, and outside? So what would be the knock-on effect to AXA if SAA gets liquidated? So I don't think I think the the powers that be must consider this thing from a value chain perspective and what other businesses might fold because of what SAA, if SAA is liquidated. So the impact, having worked, I mean, with, with, with the, in, in the aviation industry, the, the airport is a town. To put it, the airport is a town. And SAA is a huge tenant in that town. So... Ideally, in acting in the best interest of the country, certainly everything that can be done, not only to rescue SAA, but make sure that SAA is a, is a, is a profitable business should be done. But, I don't know, since the second administration, if I, if I, maybe for, 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 for good reasons, leave the first administration. Since the second administration, we've been down this road with SAA for 20 years. But here's something that, 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 that is mind-boggling, which I think um, the current administration have to come to terms with. Firstly, SAA is 100% owned by the state. You know, and this model of 
business orientation is simply not feasible. Surely, we have now an opportunity to have equity partners that will look at this, you know, as part of the turnaround because it, it doesn't really matter because when you have, when you bring equity partners, they don't only just bring financial injection that will offset some of the debts, but they also bring technical expertise, which is needed because clearly we are not able to take decisions that are effect, efficient and effective. I think that's an indictment to us as South Africans that amongst us, 58, 59 million of us, there are no skills to run a national airline. I think that's an indictment. In terms of the equity that would come, yes, it would, it would be helpful. It would be helpful. But I think it's an indictment that we've had an, a national carrier for almost, I don't know when SA was started, sometime in the early 1900s, that today, we don't have the skills to, to run the company. I don't think it's a matter of skill uh, or not. I think it's an issue of, of, of leadership. You know, are we able to, write, to take the right decision or decisions that are, are seen to be in the best interest? It is the same metaphor in a political space. We do not have, uh, uh, we, we can't call the spade the spade where it matters. I, I, I couldn't disagree with that at all. Absolutely. Like, I mean, it, even if you go back to our earlier conversation, it goes back to the same thing. It goes back to the same problem of the people that are leading this country are not leading us the right path. And that's the bottom line. When a decision has to be made, decisions are not made. There are other interests and, and now we've created a, I don't want to call it this word, but a problem that is everywhere. But the truth of the matter is, in, in my view, we have the skills to run SAA, but we don't have the political will to correct them. Unfortunately, we're not Tim Tonensi. We're going to have to review them, my brother. Thank you very much for your insight. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you. you. There you are, colleagues. That was Unatim Tonensi, who is the uh, uh, independent analyst, giving us his view on very pertinent issues. If you recall, we started uh, uh, deliberating on issues that contribute towards positive business uh, atmosphere. And, 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 and f- personally, I'm, I'm seeing a bit of uh, positive uh, uh, movement that gives business confidence some leg to stand on because we've seen some bit of, 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 of traction uh, in as far as that. And I, the last point that we deliberated on was the movement by solidarity, solidarity to place SAA under, uh, 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 under business rescue, which personally there's absolute merit, which uh, we need to be supporting this kind of initiative. Somebody ultimately woke up and smelled coffee, and hopefully it will be uh, something that this kind of administration, look at it for what it is irrespective as to which corner it comes from. Until we meet again it has been an absolute pleasure. Have a good one.